Please remain standing as you're able, and as we come before God's Word, we'll do so reciting what Jesus called the Great Commandment. We do so in Hebrew and then follow in English together. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning is from the Sermon on the Mount. It is the sixth chapter of Matthew, beginning in verse 19, where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. Store up instead treasures for yourself in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. <clears throat> when I was on the way back from Burundi Monday, I thought about a gentleman I met eight years ago. His name was Jean, and Jean was very interesting. Jean had been a part of the rebellion against the oppressive government in the early 2000s in Burundi. And when the governments uh, changed under uh, a peace accord negotiated by Nelson Mandela, Jean, as a rebel leader, was offered a place in the, go- the new government. And that's no small feat given the opportunity for influence and the fact that it's a guaranteed job in a country where unemployment is 80%. But I'm talking with Jean eight years ago, and instead of taking a job in the government, he's pastoring a church for absolutely no salary at all. And so I asked him to explain that to me, and he said, I have learned that to follow the money always causes problems. And I thought about his wisdom, and I wondered, now where did he get that wisdom? Maybe it was his life experience. You see, as a rebel leader, the government troops had chased him down along with a band of his men. They had blown his boat out of the water of Lake Tanganyika, and they had left him for dead. Well, he made it to shore, and he didn't die. Eventually, they arrested him, uh, put him in prison, and beat him severely until Mandela negotiated the peace. Maybe it was his life experience that, that gave him a, a perspective uh, on things. Or maybe it was the fact that of all the pastors in Burundi, a hundred and 30 plus of them, only four of them have even been to seminary, and he was one of them. He'd been to seminary in South Africa. Or maybe it was just that he knew the Bible, and he knew that Jesus in the New Testament talks mostly about the kingdom of God, but his second favorite subject is money and possessions, talking much more about this than he ever talked about any sort of sexual ethic or behavior. And maybe he knew that Jesus' teaching can be summarized, I think, pretty easily in the New Testament, and especially when you add it to the teachings of Paul. And basically it would go something like this, and that is Jesus' basic teaching is money isn't everything. It cannot deliver all that it may promise to deliver. One of the things he says is that your possessions uh, and your valuables are not, uh, they don't last perhaps as long as you think they might. And he talked about moth destroying it. And this was a reference to a lot of people's wealth was found in fine cloth. And moth can get into fine cloth and, and destroy it. And he said, and for others, vermin will destroy it. And this is a reference, you may remember the parable about the man and Luke that had a, a big barn filled with all these crops. And when he had a banner year, he, 
instead of giving it away, he tore down and built a bigger barn to put his crops in. And so when you talk about vermin, it's people who have their wealth and their crops, and, and yet rats can get in and can destroy the crop. And then finally, those whose uh, value are in the coins of the day or gold or silver will find that thieves can come in and steal it. So one of the things Jesus said is that money just it doesn't really last. And, and I think he also knew it can't uh, always deliver satisfaction and happiness and meaning. Uh, a number of years ago, a guy named David Myers, writing for the Yale Press, wrote a book called The American Paradox. And in this, he talked about that Americans are wealthier than anybody else just about, but there's no correlation between wealth and happiness in their life. And in fact, Myers went on to say, you could almost establish that the correlation may work the other way, that the more that we have, the more that we tend not to be satisfied and not to be happy. And so I think Jesus knew that money couldn't deliver. I think Jesus knew... And Paul echoed this, that money could actually, if we pursue it, lead us into greater difficulties in our life. Paul told Timothy, it is the love of money. It's not money. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And as people pursue it at the expense of other things, they, they multiply the pain and suffering in their life. You may remember the story about a man that was very wealthy and built a large business, extremely successful, but he devoted so much time and energy to his business that there was no time for his family. And so his wife and three children gave him an ultimatum, spend time with them or they're leaving. So they went to a marriage counselor, they worked it out, he decided to sell his very large business, take the money, move the family to a vacation area, build a large house on a lake. But it wasn't enough to live on the lake, he got bored, and so he bought the marina on the lake and started working tirelessly to build up that marina. And then he really realized, you know, this is a wonderful lake, if we had a five-star resort here, we could really do some damage. And he built it and devoted his life to making that a five-star resort, second to none. And he was successful, but you know how the story goes. So after three years, his wife and children come and announce to him that they are leaving. There's this pursuit of money at the expense of other things that can lead to difficulties in our life. I think Jesus knew the greatest difficulty that the pursuit of money could lead is it could actually separate us from the things of God, that we would be tempted to put money and the things that money can buy into God's place. In fact, it was the atheist Nietzsche who once said or predicted that one day for Christians, money will take God's place as the central focus in their life. A century or so ago, but who's to say that Nietzsche was wrong on his prediction? Bonhoeffer said it this way in Nazi Germany. He said, there is room in our life for only one all-consuming passion. And if our all-consuming passion is the things that will get possessions and the possessions that are bought with them, then there is not place for God. And God's kingdom then becomes second place or further behind, or further behind and we become attached to other things than God in this world. A picture of this for me is a picture from Pompeii. Do you remember 79 A.D. Mount Vesuvius erupts? And Pompeii is destroyed, but interestingly, a number of people and things are preserved as they were in their last moment. And so, according to the archaeologists, there's one story of a woman who is fleeing for her life when the lava is coming, but realizes that she's left her jewelry in the house. And so she runs back in to get the jewelry, and 
She is there forever, preserved in time, clutching her jewelry as she died. Now, I'm not going to suggest that had she not gone back to the house, she would have outrun it and survived. We don't know. But that picture of holding on to our possession even as it takes our life is a picture that Jesus, I think, would have understood and probably could have predicted for many people when we make the possessions and their pursuit more important than the kingdom of God. One British theologian, John Stott, put it this way in the late 20th century. He said, the thing about our possessions, as helpful and useful as they are, is that they tend to tether us to this world and we tend to think less about what God wants to do in this world. And so the pursuit of possessions and not possessions themselves can be a real challenge to our faith. And I think Jesus offers us a couple of helps in the Sermon on the Mount, which I think we need to take seriously because A, it's from Jesus, and B, it is his greatest teaching all compiled in one place. And these are the two things I think he would share for us this morning. The first thing is this. We need to know this about our treasures and possessions, and that is where they are, our heart will follow. We want to think and would like to think, I'd like to think about myself, that I'll give and support the things I really care about. And I'll always make time for the things that are important to me. But Jesus is saying just as often it works the other way around. In the places where you give your time and your energy and your sacrifice, those are the very things that become to you the most important. It works the other way around. Those things that we treasure with our time and energy, actually, that's where our heart ends up going rather than the other way. So maybe a couple silly examples may may make the point. When I was younger, like perhaps some of your brothers and uh, and maybe even your fathers, I collected baseball cards. And so when I had a special card of a player I really liked, I'm invested in him. And I start to go to the papers every morning to see how he did. Did he go two for four, or three for five, or or did he take the collar in the game yesterday? How's he doing? And I become very interested because now I'm invested. In him, and so my heart started to follow the baseball card. It wasn't that I collected the card because I love baseball, it began to work the other way. And I got very interested in him, and I got interested in his team. And, and for me growing up, that was Willie Mays. And so I lived and died on, on everything Willie Mays did and, and didn't do. Or perhaps another example that might seem silly to some. We got back from Burundi Monday night, and, and we'd been uh, upright and, for the most part, awake for about 48 hours on, on the trip uh, home. And uh, so, like every good San Antonian, when we got home and got a ride home from the airport and got possession and keys to our own car, we went back for Mexican food. But my state, as I went for Mexican food, can best be described as the walking dead. I wasn't in much shape to eat, much less to drive. But somehow I navigated my way there, navigated my way home. And and probably that that should have been the evening. But it wasn't. Because after 48 hours of being up, the Duke basketball team was on. And so I watched. Now, you might say, well, I watched because I love Duke basketball. And I do, but do you know the background That when I was there for three years, and this is even before Coach K, that's how old I am. I stood in line in the snow, in the sleet, in the rain, in the sunshine, in the cold, in the darkness, to get into the game. A number of papers went 
delayed and writing and tests unstudied for at the game. I invested myself in that. And then when I graduated, before ESPN had exploded, they weren't on TV all that much, but I found out when they were. I put that on my calendar at church and made sure that I scheduled no meetings that evening. Months and months and years and years of investing have led to a heart that's arranged in a certain direction. It is our heart that follows our investment. It's not our investment that follows our heart. So the things that we give to are the things that we're really going to care about. And the things that we give to over and over actually shape and inform our heart. And so in a more serious example... A number of us uh, who, were, are, who were there two years ago in Burundi uh, went to check on some of our former orphans because our orphanage had been closed by UNICEF, and so we were trying to find other ways to support these orphans. But the trip out to where these orphans were out in the middle of nowhere was a rugged trip. It was so rugged that I think Nona got several thousand steps on her Fitbit for riding into the car. Just bump after bump after bump after bump. And then when we got there, a 15-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy raising themselves. And we left them food with broken hearts because we didn't know how were they going to get the food back to their hut. How would we know some bigger, stronger adult might not take the food from them? We just didn't know. But come back two years later and we find they're still alive. The older one, the 15-year-old, had been supported by a family. She's now in school in the capital city living there. And the younger boy was adopted by a teacher in the school system and taken in to a family of four. Now, I have to tell you, these orphans are not better than orphans in Mexico, Afghanistan, Rwanda, or children in need in San Antonio. They're not. God loves them all equally. But my investment in them has turned my heart in that direction. It goes investment first. The heart follows and Jesus gets the principle. And so if you want to improve your relationship with your spouse, you don't say, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to feel better about my spouse. You start investing time and energy and sacrifice for your family. And the heart follows. I, I want to care more about the things of, of the church or in kingdom of God. You don't just like make that decision. You start carrying out actions and it follows. Now, I'm going to stop for a moment and, and give you just perhaps an example that, that may not be wanted. You're probably tiring, tired of hearing religious leaders talk about the travel ban. But I, I, think this is, I think it's important and fits in here. I, like many religious leaders, have. I'm not a security expert. And there are wise people who make better decisions than I can make. But I have some biblical concerns about our nation's direction there because of biblical principles about refugees and orphans and people in need. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is this. Nobody says if we make certain decisions and carry out actions in a certain direction time after time after time, what will happen to our national heart? That's all I want to raise. That's all I want to say. I don't have the answer. I just want to say this is a nation who started the League of Nations. This is a nation who intervened in Europe to free people being oppressed by the Nazis. This is a nation that worked in malaria in Africa. We take compassionate action. And when we don't, how many times will it take before our heart will go 
a different direction. I don't know. Maybe we need to be prudent in this area. I'm just saying we need to understand and watch. It won't start with our heart. It will start with our actions. And our heart's going to end up tagging behind. And I pray for all of us, Republican, Democrat, all of us that will always want to be compassionate. Think about Pharaoh. Many people come to me and they're saying, I'm really complex that Pharaoh says his heart was hardened five times and then it says God hardened his heart five times. Whose fault is Pharaoh? Well, here's the rabbinic explanation about Pharaoh and the slaves. That Pharaoh took oppressive actions time after time, even though Moses warned him. So after five times of doing it, the biblical sense is even God says, I can't change that. His heart has gone that direction. I cannot intervene. And so that's a way of saying God God allowed Pharaoh's heart to go the direction that it went with his actions. Our actions in our family, our actions with children, our action with people in need will determine our heart toward them. Finally, I think this is what Jesus is saying, that you can store up treasure in heaven. Now, I love what Rick Warren says, and I wish it were true. The wonderful Rick Warren in California says, what God is telling you here is, while you can't take it with you, you know, there's no luggage racks on hearses, while you can't take it with you, he says, you can send it on ahead. I would would that that were true. But most of the time in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is talking about heaven, he means kingdom of heaven. And so what he's saying is the things you do for the causes of God will never be lost. Orphans you feed, lonely people that you talk with, a neighbor that you reach out to. Those things are never lost. They are always preserved. No rat, no moth, no thief can ever take them. One of the things I'm so grateful to be back in in this country and in this church and with you because I see you in so many ways extending loving action to people. And I just want to tell you, keep doing it. This church is amazing when people are in crisis and when people are losing or have lost a loved one. I've never seen a body of people that responds as consistently as you do. This church is amazing with children. And all I'm saying is that will never be lost. That will stay forever. That is stored for you, in a sense, in heaven. There's a story from the second persecution of the Romans, uh, of the Christians in the second century. And they were going through the underground churches, finding Christians, arresting them, killing them, looting them. And so a Roman prefect comes to an underground church he's discovered of a man named Laurentius. And the prefect comes to Laurentius and says, show me your valuables. So Laurentius takes him and opens a door and shows him a room. And in these room, clothes are being sewn for hungry children. People who don't have enough to eat are being fed. And widows who are lonely are being comforted. And he points and he said, these children, these widows, these are our valuables. How does something become valuable in our life? Is it because we care, then we give? Or is it because we give, and then we care?